everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. I wish I had better news to report, but the Frogs lose 32-27 to at home to the Texas Longhorns. Texas moves to 4-1, TCU falls to 2-2. Two two. We will take a look back at the game, glance forward to a trip out there to Lubbock. I hear strange things happen in Lubbock at night. We will all find out together in less than a week. We're going to break down this heartbreaking loss, as well as do a little group therapy for the fan base here on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Jeremy, don't you appreciate how um, level-headed and, un- and dispassionate um, our fans are able to handle a second straight loss to a to a rival? We seem to be doing okay, don't we? <laughs> I think they handled it much better than the SMU lost. I think with everyone, they knew Texas coming in was going to be pretty good, scored 70 against Texas Tech. And I think if you look at the final score – played closer um tcu had a lot of chances to win that game but it is what it is i was looking at the board earlier today and someone made a uh a, a pretty a pretty good post about something just if you if you look at the the past two games smu beating tcu and texas beating tcu the one thing this person noticed was Look how happy their fan base and their their players were to the point where one one has to plant a flag on the field to another point where another team is running all over the field with the flag. And this is against TCU. I mean, this that was a, a pretty pretty good post, which got a little bit better uh attention than I expected. I thought everyone's gonna be slamming the guy, but he's right. I mean, you got two teams. It looks like TCU is uh pretty well respected from um, some of those, some of those teams, and you know what, you gotta, you gotta take, take uh, every bit of, uh, you know, slimmer, uh, just a small, small glimmer of, uh, I don't know what, what word I'm looking for, but I guess uh, just be happy and knowing that someone feels like they won their Super Bowl when they beat TCU when they beat TCU. Well, this is the first time that Texas has won in Fort Worth since the infamous 2013 uh, hurricane game, rain game, where we all spent a couple hours under the stands, and then finally the game wrapped up way too late for for my taste. But yeah, I I guess my question for you, Jeremy, is how, how do we rate this? Le- not meltdown because that might be a loaded phrase, but how do you how do you rate um, post game response? And and I'm talking about fans. I mean, to fans, yeah. coach players how do you assess this versus say i thought 2016 was a pretty rough year that didn't need to be a rough year i understood you know we had a pretty good season last year and i think without covid and without max having a near death experience i think we could have ended in a normal season eight and four with a bowl win which would have been hey this is teeing up this feels really bad right now and i know we're in the moment i know we're 24 hours after a tough loss to a team that we've we've owned since we moved into the big 12 how do you rate the response on on all fronts after this tough loss to the Longhorns? I mean, it's tough for me to look at it in the way you guys do because love me or hate me, I'm I don't get much into this as some of you guys. It's not going to make my weekend. It's not going to ruin my weekend if TCU wins or loses. Um, from wa- outside looking in, watching the reactions, I mean, obviously fans have a right to complain, and um, it's kind of been I wouldn't say mediocre football, but it's been uh, just less than what's been expected of this program the last few years. You look at 2021, a lot of people thought this was going to be a pretty good year. And and to be honest, uh, SMU and Texas were two games that 
And Texas, I think when I predicted my nine and three, that that was a game that I felt TCU was going to be a 50-50 game. And SMU, I said all along, all these people claiming that TCU is going to beat them by three or four touchdowns. SMU is a good program. I mean, that's that's a good team. They're undefeated. Texas is four and one now, so they've lost to two good teams. I, I still don't know what TCU is. I, I think some Saturdays they could go out there and prove all of us wrong and, and really put it all together and, and play well. And another part of me thinks, you know, just like I did before the Texas game, there's there's no way. I was talking to Jeff Howe from Horns 24-7, and, and he actually predicted TCU to win this game. And I told him straight up, there's no way I could predict TCU to win this game after what I saw in person against SMU. There's just, there's just no way. But I talked to a lot of people, and I'm crazy for saying this maybe, and I'm sure people will call me out, but – I don't see a bad football team in TCU. I see a team that could still win a lot of games. I still see a team that could win eight to nine games. And if we look at the preseason projections, that's what a lot of us felt. I mean, on, I know early in the season, you you don't want to lose to SMU because that's your rival. You don't want to lose to Texas because you've beaten their butt pretty much every year since joining the Big 12. But let's be honest, both those teams are pretty good. I mean, they're they're nine and one combined. So it's not like it's not like uh, uh, TCU's losing to bad teams. And the flip side of that, they're they're not getting beat by three or four touchdowns. They're one score games and it's, it is what it is. I, I, I still think this team can, can win a lot of ball games, but I mean, reactions, man, it's, they're, they're going to have them. Fans are going to have them. And, and like I said, they have every right to have it. And uh, I'm not sure what you're asking about the coaches reactions or anything like that. I'm, I'm kind of confused by that question. So you'd have to let me know what you're looking for on that one, man. I, oh. I don't know what you want me to say. All right, so just give me give me this compare and contrast. Coach Patterson after the SMU game, comparing his demeanor to Coach Patterson after the Texas game. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, after SMU game, obviously he was pissed off about the whole flag thing. Um, but uh, it's like when we were talking about that game and the game thread, a lot of questions. I mean, he answered a lot of questions. The Texas game, I think, People were going into that game feeling like Texas or TC better show something on defense. And honestly, I think they did. Did they play great? No, but they played much better than what they did against SMU. Um, they really came together on some goal line stands and and really the way TC was turning the ball over, you you got to commend the way the defense played. And uh, if not for Bijan Robinson just being able to have a career day, I mean, he's gonna have days like that. That's one thing coach said after the game that TCU will not be the first team he runs or will not be the last team he runs like that against he's going to get a lot of yards against some pretty good teams and I mean he could have a a very good game against Oklahoma but I think with if you're asking does he feel like they played better against Texas than SMU absolutely Um, he seemed like he was and and not as a a grumpy as a mood Um, I mean he's never in a good mood after a loss everyone that thinks Gary's fine with losing is out of their mind. So, I mean, he's he's not going to do the whole moral victory thing. Um, but I think if he looks at some of the things they had to fix from SMU to, to uh, Texas, they still tackled uh, poorly, but it wasn't 20 missed tackles. Um, they were able to play red zone defense a lot better. They didn't give up a ton of big plays. Uh, but I think it's – minor things that they can fix and it's it's just it you mentioned 2016 it kind of it kind of feels like that to me right now it's kind of like man this is a 500 this is a 500 team but the way the big 12 is right now there's a lot of parody and i still think it's anyone's game i mean it's any anyone's chance to to play in the big 12 title game and 
this is one loss. And if you look at the end of the year, look at Texas, if they're sitting there uh, with 10 wins and TCU loses to them by five, then TCU's winning eight or nine games. And you, this is pretty much how we projected things. Well, let's get inside of this game. You know, you, you've you highlighted five um, five plays that changed the game. Let's just kind of bounce back and forth. You lay out, tell us what you thought. I'll give you some feedback, maybe even some pushback on that. And this is yeah. going to get us inside of what you think um, were the turning points in this game that led to a five-point loss for the Frogs. Yeah, I mean, this isn't – anyone could go out there and say, well, yeah, they lost because they let they didn't tackle Bijan Robinson on a 27-yard touchdown or they didn't tackle Whittington on that 32-yard catch he had. These are plays that weren't scoring plays. These are plays that – led either uh, to big momentum or they just put TCU in a very bad position and led to points. But I'll start with the fifth, the fifth play. Um, I'm not, I'm going to go five to one, uh, but the fifth play and and some guys might not remember this, but I remember sitting in the press box. So TCU's at the end. Uh, it's at the end of the first half. They're actually driving the football and there's less than 30 seconds remaining. Might even be 20 seconds. But it, the offense is rolling to a point where it looks like they can at least kick a field goal and at least cut some of the, the halftime lead down. And Andrew Coker did Andrew Coker. He he had a – I believe they were at the, the 49 there, the Texas 49 or maybe even the 50. But Andrew Coker um, got hit with a – basically a hands-to-the-face penalty. He got called with a face mask penalty that drove them all the way back to the 33. Uh, 33 or 34 yard, their own 33 or 34 yard line. So at that point, you're looking at maybe getting a play that can give them 15 yards, 20 yards, getting field goal range to now having no shot at um, at scoring at all. And I look at that play and think, man, if they could at least just got down uh, a couple more completions, they had they had plenty of time to do it. That that could have led to something, but that was that was a big play to me that I circled and thought. I wish that would not have happened because they seem to have had some momentum uh, on that last drive before halftime, and it just killed everything. You know, I'll agree with that, but I think the caveat I'd add is I hate that we have to uh, point him out because I thought he actually played a decent game. Um, You know, I, I thought the offensive line, you know, obviously it's not the strongest point on this team. But I felt like the offensive line played a little bit better. I know Texas's run game or run defense has been a little suspect, but I felt like the offensive line as a whole played pretty well. But I hate that Coker, I hate that we had that penalty, and I hate that Coker gets singled out because I thought he's actually, I thought he played better against Texas than he did against SMU. So. Oh yeah, much much better against Texas than SMU was just probably his worst game he's ever had as a football player, <laughs> whether junior high, high school, whatever. I mean, I've, he, he had a really bad day, but Wes Harris not being out there, obviously hurt. You had to have Avila play right guard. You had Coy playing center. Then even at one point, John Lance had to come out of the game. So they were kind of playing with the makeshift interior offensive line there um, for most of the game. So I, I agree with you. The offensive line um, did, did play a little bit better um, than I expected them to, but that play right there is just something in my head that I, I couldn't shake and just just especially the way they were moving the ball there toward the end of the half. All right, let's go to number four. What do you got dialed up? <laughs> uh, number four is that first fumble uh, by Darius on the reverse. And, man, I hated that play. I hated that play call. Um, and this is what I talk about uh, on the board or just talking in general. I I like some of the things Doug Meacham does, but it's like 
we've got a great run, got a great run, got a great run. Hey, let's throw something tricky at them because they won't expect it. And it's just nothing as far as the trick plays have they've tried to do this year have worked, whether it was against SMU where they had a false start and it would have been a fumble anyway. And then against uh, Texas, you had a fumble. Uh, there was there was the, the reason why I don't like that is because you ran Zach Evans three times the previous three plays and you got 22 yards out of those three plays. And then you want to do a reverse to Darius. He fumbles, Texas recovers, and they get it down to the 23. And that led to a field goal. It could have led to a touchdown easy, but defense, like I mentioned earlier, stood up to to those turnovers and had, had great plays all day preventing touchdowns. But it led to a field goal. And that was that was a big momentum shifter for them right there. That that just crazy call on the fact Darius fumbled it and Sadly, this won't be the last time we talk about Darius in this little segment here. You know, I feel like when when Sonny Cumbie left, we got rid of the wild frog to everyone's delight. But then Doug came in and it's like, you know, I've got some gadget plays that I feel like we haven't run enough of, you know, when we're finally getting some offensive, uh, we're, we're finally getting some momentum going on offense. So, you know, it just just be careful what you wish for because you know, no offensive coordinator is perfect. Um, I still have some questions of like what we're actually trying to accomplish on offense and who we're trying to accomplish it with every now and then. And I don't have all the answers, but my answer, one answer I do have is when you get something humming, don't run or double reverse, don't run a reverse yeah. and, uh, have, don't, don't do it with Darius Davis. So I'm, I'm going to be very generous with that and just say, let's drop the gadget plays, especially when we have more weapons now than we did when Doug was here previously. These final three plays could go – either one of them could be one, either could be two, three. Just It doesn't really matter. But the number three play I'm going with is Darius's fumble return or fumble on the punt return. Um, and, again, he, he muffed the punt. Texas recovers. Defense stands up, forces a field goal. So you have six points off of the turnovers right there. And what was the difference in the game, Jeff? That would be five points, Jeremy. Okay. So the reason why I have a problem with this play right here, and, and I know we have a lot of people on the board that want to blame Gary for everything. They want to blame the coaches for everything. But how long do you think Darius Davis has been playing football? A long time, is, right? Pro- probably since Pee Wee, right? What, we know whenever, we played him. Yeah. Whenever the state of Louisiana allows you to start playing tackle football, all the dads in the neighborhood signed up to get the first pick to draft Darius Davis. Right. <laughs> so exactly. When, when, whenever they're like, no, we'll pick your kid up. We'll get him. He's been playing tackle football since probably third grade. Exactly. And even in high school, when he was a highly recruited kid, I'm willing to bet he returned some punts, right? And then he gets to college. He's been a great punt returner. Now, how many times, Jeff, I mean, you could throw out a number. How many times do you think Darius has been told as a returner, if that ball is going inside the 10, do not touch it. Let it go. If it's inside the 10, let it bounce. If they if they down it, so be it. Just don't touch it. Okay? Let it let's have the odds of it bouncing crazy and going into the end zone. Is that fair? Oh, that's fair. You know, okay, he's been, so how, he's how many times do you think he's been here. Yeah, he's been told that. Yes. He's probably been told that a hundred times. So why the heck did he touch that ball? He was inside the 10. Is that on the coaches or is that on the player? 
I would now, say the that people, the people, part. the people that hate the coaches are going to blame the coaches no matter what. Come hell or high water, they're going to say, "Well, they should have told them." They did tell them. They did, but it, it also comes down to player execution. And I'm not trying to be hard on Darius right now, but he knew better than that. He knew better. He was trying to make a play, and that's exactly what coach said after the game. He was trying to make a play. He's got to understand. He doesn't have to make a big play every time. Sometimes he just has to make a play. What he should have done right there is just ran forward, let that ball bounce. If they down inside the one, no biggie. Guess what? TCU's still going to have the ball. Texas isn't going to have the ball immediately in field goal range. You know what I mean? So that and we can get that defense off the field and yes. not have John Robinson hammering them again and again. I mean, and, and the bad thing about that play, Jeff, is – TCU was TCU had a great offensive drive the previous drive they they had just gone up fourteen to thirteen and they came back on defense and they forced a punt and they're playing good offensively okay you force that punt you you get it if they down inside the ten so what if it goes the end zone you're out on the twenty I I feel right there the offense was clicking so well that maybe they go down and score a touchdown and maybe they take a twenty one thirteen lead so. But that was a that was a very pivotal uh, play that led to three easy points for Texas. Years ago, John McKay, head coach at USC, was asked at halftime by the reporter, "What do you think of your team's execution?" And he said, "I'm all for it." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned execution. That that was just poor execution. That that's yeah, and and that's that's the thing. It's like you gotta you we we got a lot of people that want to take, you know, blame the coaches and, and some of it's right. I mean, I, heck I blamed Doug Meacham two minutes ago for his play call for that reverse, but sometimes players got to be held accountable too. And especially when you got a guy that is a, as experienced as he is returning punts. And you're talking about an all big 12 special teams guy. He knows whether or not to touch that ball. And he did. And it led to three points. You ready to hear number two? I'm ready to hear number two. Okay. You want to take a guess on it? Uh, no, I want to hear from you. I've got some thoughts when you're done. Go okay. Ahead. Now, this could have been number one or number two. I, I went back and forth. I can't get that targeting call out of my head. Oh. I I cannot for the lot. And, and I don't understand the whole, you know, people blaming the timeout because they had nine on the field and whatnot. What you guys see on TV is sometimes different from what we see on the field. They were getting ready. To, they were going to review that play. That that play was going to be reviewed because Texas was on the sidelines yelling, doing the head, you know, the targeting motion. That play was going to be reviewed. Trust me. It had nothing to do with, oh, Gary called a timeout and that gave him time to think about it. it that doesn't happen that way, guys. It just doesn't. But I thought that play was a clean b- play by TJ. And when he got when he got kicked out, it really changed the trajectory of the momentum right there because TCU had done a phenomenal job of forcing that punt and they were going to get the ball inside Texas territory. It it was, it was a great, the defense was playing so good to start that game. And so not only do you lose TJ, but you have to you have to play a a true freshman and Davion Armstead. You know who was covering uh, Jordan Whittington on that touchdown, that 32-yard touchdown he had? Armstead. Armstead was. So that 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 targeting led to other things that happened in the game 
because Carter wasn't in there. So I, I, I really feel, and, and, and I typically don't do that. I typically don't blame one play to, to change the whole outcome of a game. But we, we have, as people that cover TCU and fans all remember it, we all, what, what's the one play we always go back to back in Austin a few, play, a, a few years ago? You remember this. Oh, when Sean Robinson underthrew Jalen uh, Rager, who was standing all by himself in the end zone, but he threw it right to uh, did he threw it right to B.J. Foster, or did he throw yeah. it to Stern, or Caden Stearns? One of the two, and it, it, that with the Frogs had the lead and were gonna t- and gonna take a deep, expand expand the lead up to uh, mm-hmm. two score lead going into yep. halftime. Yep. Texas gets the ball, they run it back, they get in the end zone, and that that put the. It's a straight line from there to the Cheez It Bowl. I mean, that's yeah. bottom, that's the bottom line. It's a straight line from that stupid pass that your boy could have made, that I could have made. Um, yeah, that that I believe in those things. I know momentum is not a stat. I know all you analytics buffs will tell me how stupid I am. That changed the trajectory of that game, and therefore the rest of the season. Yeah, and, and I, I really, I, I, and and I think that play with TJ Carter did the same. Now I'm not saying it's going to change the whole season, but I do no. believe it changed the game because they were already down a lot of safeties, and now you're taking arguably one of their top two safeties out of the game, and you're having to put a true freshman in there. And I think Armstead's going to be a really good player. I mean, he was a really good steal late in the 2021 class. But you're you're talking about a guy that has played over 40-something games compared to a guy that's never been on the field against a pretty good offense. So – you're you're gonna have you're gonna have a little bit of a a lesser player out there when you, when you lose a guy like like TJ. But I thought that was I thought that was huge, and uh, I think it didn't lead to uh, actually. I take that back. It did lead to points because once they called that penalty, Texas continued the drive, and they ended up scoring on a 99 yard drive. Now there was a lot of plays that could have could have stopped that drive. Um, TCU could have made, especially tackling Robinson, but I just look back to it. If they punted that ball and TCU gets the ball back with all the momentum they had at the point, they were going to score. And it it's just like we talk about back in 2018, Jeff, what happens if TCU goes up two scores? It just changes the whole trajectory of the game, in my opinion. Well, l- let me weigh in on that again. I, I think – I think that uh, interception in the Texas game in Austin in 2018, I think that changed the team psychologically. And I and, mm-hmm. and I don't want to I don't want to throw a poor kid under the bus because I know that he's still playing Power Five football and I'm 46 years old. I think that broke Sean Robinson. I think that was the beginning of the end of his time at TCU's quarterback. And I think there's components that are more than X's and O's around that. Yeah. The problem with this play is you lose Carter. You're already short in your defensive backfield, as you said, and we are shuffling already a short deck in the back five. Everybody else noticed uh, 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 Trey Hodges Tomlinson is playing yeah. is playing safety. Yeah. He's not playing corner. He's playing safety. Never and practiced there either. Never. <laughs> they just yeah. threw him back there. They just threw him back, and yeah. he did okay. Yeah, um, he gave up one. He gave up that one pass to Whitman, but yep. I mean, overall, I, I think they actually did pretty good defending the pass overall in the day. I, I mean, they made. Casey Thompson looked normal. It yeah. was funny because you hear a lot of Texas fans talking about how great Casey Thompson was and how much better they've played. And then you then you look at TCU fans, oh, Casey Thompson's not a good quarterback. Well, maybe maybe TCU's defense had a little bit to do with that. 
Um, you got to give credit when credit's due sometimes, guys. You can't always be the damn skies falling every every second you have a chance to think about it. Uh, TCU's secondary did play well in the passing game against Texas. They had over three, they had over 300-something yards and five touchdown passes last week against Texas Tech. But I, I get it, though. Texas Tech sucks, too. So um, TC, don't give TCU any credit where credit's due. All right, let me make one comment on targeting. As uh, uh, so, this is this is my little soapbox. I am a big proponent of player safety. I like a lot of the changes that they have made to protect the player. I, I'm glad they are trying to get the the blindside block out. That's a 15 yard penalty right now. You know how you used to light a guy up. It's usually oh, yeah. a punt return or a interception where people aren't quite ready for it. You can't light that guy up anymore the way that you used to. And it was usually almost always an unnecessary block. If you heard everybody go, whoa, that's going to be a flag. I'm glad we have that. And I like targeting when you you are not this head-to-head contact. is it's. I'm not a scientist. I know everybody's a scientist on Facebook now. But I'm not a scientist regarding CTE in, in that component, even though we know that there is an element of player safety we need to be protective of with that. What I can't stand is that you get hit in the back and that's targeting. Mm-hmm. You get hit in the back with a helmet and where they're not using their helmet as a weapon. That is not targeting. And that is the thing that is driving me nuts. But and you can't so, use the crown. That's yeah. what is it. That's- I want to know. I want a line. I, w- I want a line drawn on every helmet what the crown is. And, yeah. I, you know, he had you got to you know, I'm old school. You see what you hit. Keep your head up. I feel like he did that, and this was not con- this was not helmet to helmet contact, and, and and this was not crown of the helmet to helmet contact or head or shoulder. This was a clean hit. These are f- football is a physical game. I believe that, and it will always be that way. These, the thing- th- this and this this is going to hurt the game, and this is why they need a t- uh, they need a tiered system. I know that those officials say they don't want to judge intent. But if, if an official watched that play on replay, no one would have – and there were two tiers. No one's going to put that at the top tier. I hate yeah. that he gets ejected. I hate that it's uh, – yeah, I just – I cannot stand what they're doing with Targon. As someone who believes that we should be getting helmet-to-helmet contact, um, using your head as a weapon, out of the game, not just for the protection of the players, but for the long-term uh, prospects of, of, of high-level football, you know, the number of kids playing youth football is shrinking right now. And I know everybody's like, oh, we play it in Texas and Alabama. Yeah, well, there's other 48 states, and numbers are going down, and we need to get numbers up, and part of that's player safety. But that play is not why people aren't playing. What infuriated me on that whole play, too, is not one of those referees threw a flag during the play. And, and they want to. like, not. I don't want to say they want to. I don't want to dog referees. They have a bias towards that. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, you know, on a play, if you can't quite tell if he's out of bounds, you you let it go. That way you can catch it up on replay mm-hmm. you, and they have a bias towards what's on the field. They need to have a bias towards what's on the field there as well. So well, he, I thought these refs were terrible. For oh, they were, I mean, both they were we got we got bailed out with a late hit. That was that was was that Anthony Cook from Texas? That, yeah, that, when he hit that Max, was not, that was cheap. We didn't we didn't yeah. need 15 yards for that. That was soft. But, well, then you had the tight end tripping over his own feet, or maybe CJ's feet, and then they—that was about ten yards past yeah. him, pass interference. Yeah, that led terrible. to the score, by the way. Terrible. Um, but you know, Tay Barber had that catch, that twenty-three yard catch down the seam, and he went up and caught the ball and got hit. How was that not a defenseless player because he wasn't leading with his crown? I don't know. I mean, they didn't even take a look at it, and that's that's what 
was kind of, you know, you're going to call things, call them both ways, but we can talk about targeting where you guys are listening to the Frogcast targeting podcast. Call it both ways, but, Bloom. Yeah. Call it both ways. <laughs> All right. What do you got? Number one. Number one. You have any guess, Jeff? This, this was the most important play that I thought led to the frog's demise. Well, there was a lot of things that led to their demise, but this one was, this one put the nail in the coffin. Well, I think it's on the third, on um, the last drive where they had him stood up and he's in, and, and Robinson, Robinson still got the first down. Yep. That's so that's exactly right. With 231 left in the fourth quarter, you have a big third and six play. TCU gets a stop. Tech's probably going to punt and you give your, you give your offense less than two minutes to score, which when we see Max under pressure trying to do up tempo, he seems to play better. Just call me crazy, but I think he, he does play better when he, when he has that uh, offense in front of him, but that was it. They had that third and six and Robinson runs over about three or four guys. Just the way he had done all day, he is by far the best college football running back. Uh, and there's no there's no question about it. Zach Evans is good. He's not Bijan Robinson good. I'm sorry. To, I don't. He he's just not. He you got a guy that taps his taps top of his helmet wants to come out because he's tired. Bijan Robinson doesn't do that. He wants to get out there and play. It might have hurt him later in the game when uh, TCU was able to stand him up two times in a row inside the two yard line because um, you could tell he was really really tired on on those two runs, but when they needed him the most and everyone in the stadium knew it, everyone watching at home knew it, that third and six play, they weren't going to, they weren't going to leave uh, Casey Thompson the chance uh, uh, to, to, to throw the ball and let it go incomplete or even possibly get intercepted. So why not hand it to your workhorse and get six yards? And he did. And that was it. That was ball game. That's two yeah. weeks in a row when TCU's had over four minutes left in the game. And they couldn't uh, stop. And they couldn't stop. And and if you go back and watch the SMU game, it was all runs. Texas game, all runs. Their run defense is probably the worst run defense I've seen them ever have since I've been covering the team. And that's really disappointing because if you look at what they had coming back at defensive tackle, it was yeah. widely considered, widely considered – you talk to anyone around the program, you listen to Gary at uh, any media days or anything, that was a position considered to be quite possibly the best position on their field. And because you had so much experience coming back, you had a lot of athletic younger guys that showed signs last year. And I'm just telling you, it's not good for them right now. It is not good. It's in, and I'm not blaming Zarnell Fitch on it at all. Like I said, it comes down to player execution. When you're when you're up there getting your butt pushed back two or three yards, there's not a dang thing Zarnell Fitch can do to make those players get get in the backfield. They've got to have the will um, to want to get it done. And right now, they're just getting pushed backwards, and they know they are. It's very disappointing to watch us get pushed around up front. Very disappointing. All right. That's my top. Five, that's my five plays, Jeff. That maybe we didn't take a look at. Maybe we didn't notice when we were watching the game. But those are five plays that, looking back, changed the game. Well, let's uh, let's let's celebrate a few things that did go right. How about a goal line stand 
in a 99-yard touchdown drive. Texas could have put the game away down there on the north end zone. The defense does stop them and goes 99 yards for a touchdown drive. I thought that was at least a sign that they could have easily given up, and they did not. And I was impressed with the defense's ability to stick them down there on in the in the in the red zone at the goal line, as well as Max's ability to get them right downfield. And that was a long, sustained drive. I was really impressed with that, and I loved watching Miller punch that thing in down there at the end zone. I thought um, that that carry said a lot to me. So what was your response watching them make that stand and then go 99 yards? Because in some ways, that was the highlight of the game to me in terms of uh, moving forward with some semblance of hope. To be honest, I was thinking the whole time this game's about to be sticking uh, 30, 33 to 32. I really did because I felt the way the defense played on that goal line stand. I knew Texas was going to hand off to Robinson and I thought, man, if they can play the same way they just did, because they gave them the offense gave them plenty of rest, ninety nine yard drive. I thought, crazy as it sounds, I thought maybe, and I know I'm not the only one, but they would have a chance to come back and win. Um, we've seen, we've all seen the flashes, and and what did I what did I say about Max a few weeks ago, Jeff? It's just like it's just like playing golf or bowling. You're gonna you're you're gonna have to get used to. Seeing Max shank one into the woods, you're going to get used to him hitting one 400 yards down the middle of the fairway. You're going to see him throw 10 strikes in a, or five strikes in a row. You're going to see him throw three gutters in a row. It's just that's that's what Max is. He is He's not consistent. He will make plays that will make you drop your jaw. Then he'll make plays that will make you drop your, draw, uh, drop your jaw in a wrong way. I mean, how in the, why in the world is he doing that? That throw to Zach Evans on the sideline, it would not have been a touchdown, number one. But it would have been a first down, and he was kind of antsy when he was throwing that ball, and he could have just ran it. A lot of people were saying he could have just ran. It. I'm sitting there in the press box. Yeah, he could have ran it for a first down. I think he's trying to be more of a passing quarterback. I think he's got the mantra of being a running quarterback, and he wants to kind of develop being a passing quarterback. That's that's not what he is right now. He is a running quarterback that does not have to pass a lot. He's going to make most of his good plays with his feet. And I think he got away from that a little bit, trying to stay in the pocket and make plays through the air. And he just got, he has just, just got to get back and do what Max does best. And that's using his feet. And then sometimes you'll have those throws in the seam, like you do to Tay Barber or, or on deep drag routes to Quentin Johnston. And you'll, you'll have some of those plays that he's going to, he's going to connect on through the air. But man, I just, I, I don't know. It, it is just one of those weird things where I thought they were they were actually going to come back and win, but we've seen flashes. I I don't know what this team is. I don't think they suck like a lot of people do. Okay, they go up to Lubbock and they get get beat by three or four touchdowns, and yeah, they suck. But if they go up to Lubbock and beat them, which I expect them to do, they're supposed to because that's Texas Tech. But look, look what Texas Tech did last week. Okay, if. If you want to talk about the Big 12, you, you've got to look at it as a whole. Okay, Two weeks ago, we were talking about how good West Virginia was. Watch out for West Virginia because they're going to be good. Well, Texas Tech goes up there and beats them. Okay? Let's, re- let's remember that. Texas Tech went on the road to Morgantown, which TCU has very rarely done, gone up to Morgantown and won a ball game. Texas Tech wins up. And they were winning pretty handily, if I remember. They were up 17 to nothing at one point, right? So 
Yes. Our, our TCU fans, are you guys listening? If, tech, if TCU goes up to Lubbock and beats Texas Tech, are you guys going to give them credit? Or are you going to be the, uh, we, we only won because Texas Tech's horrible. I know what the people that want to get rid of the coaches are going to say. They're going to say exactly what I just said. Oh, Texas Tech's, they're horrible. Okay, but you, you, you've, got, you've got to start giving credit somewhere. SMU's a good team. Give them credit. Texas is a good team. Give them credit. Okay? If you can't look at B. John Robinson and figure out he's the best running back in college football, then you don't need to be watching college football. That's just, that's just plain and simple. But I, I still feel that, that this team has a chance to win a lot of ball games. Will they go 9-3? It's going to be really tough because they got to go 7-1 and one the rest of the way. And I, <laughs> their schedule, Stillwater, Oklahoma State's going to be very tough. Iowa State's going to be very tough. Obviously, Oklahoma's going to be very tough. But there's, there's nothing that has shown me that they're going to get throttled in any of the games remaining on the schedule. There's, if, if we had seen SMU kill them by three or four touchdowns, Texas do the same, then, then yeah. And I know that Texas score, I'm not naive. All you guys listening at home and stomping their desks right now or whatever, yeah, Texas could have won by a lot more, but they didn't. Texas, de- the TCU defense stood up when they needed to. Okay. So let's not play the what if game. Let's, let's play how it actually happened. So TCU, in my opinion, is, is, is still a program that we, we don't know what they are right now. I, I, I don't. I don't personally. Maybe that's bad on me because I'm supposed to cover them, but they, they have surprised me in the past with some of the things they've done games that I didn't feel like they were going to win. They've, they've won. And, um, but if they go up, I will say this, if they go up to Lubbock and lose, then it's a very, very bad problem that's going to be had this year. Well, all I know is when Jaden Obercrome kicked that field goal in 2014 for the frogs to take the lead as the clock expired in Morgantown in a game, I don't think they led, I, my, my memory is getting shaky here. They were down, they were down double digits at one point in that game, and they fought back and won that game. That's the last time TCU won in Morgantown. We yeah. lost in sixteen, we lost in eighteen, we lost in twenty. And Tech went up there and beat West Virginia, who I I think Neil Brown is a good coach, and I think this is better than I think Neil Brown's better than every Holgerson team except for uh, the year they had Will Greer, and um, we're, we're nine and three. So. Yeah. So we will see. Well, one other thing I think is no, is worth celebrating. We did see Kari Coleman and Noah Daniels back on the field. You know, that was something that we were curious when it was going to happen. I know some of that's been um, kind of shrouded in secrecy. Should we expect to see more of those two guys going forward to the best yeah. of your knowledge? Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you'll go, you'll start to see more of them in a, um, with Coleman. I mean, Horton did, I'll say this, Horton did really well on Saturday. That that kid was working his butt off um, to try to get to the quarterback. And any, anyone that watches that game, just, just watch him work because the kid has a high motor and it was finally, it was good to finally see what Gary had been talking about. And, and even talking to some people around the program said the same thing. Dylan's very good. Now, is he as good as Coleman? No. So you, you would hope to see. Coleman work his way in to where he could play more of a prominent role and get back into that starting position. Because let's be honest, Coleman out being out there was, was a difference maker. And even Noah being out there in the limited time he was, you, you see a physical boundary corner. He's not a field corner. He's the boundary. And 
he's he's going to be the physical guy that get up in your face and press you. And um, I'll be honest, I did not mind for one second the secondary having Noah Daniels at one corner and CJ at the other corner and Trey playing safety. You know, because Trey is a safety by nature. He was a safety at Waco Midway, and he didn't really play corner until he got to TCU. So he knows how to play safety. And I, I can tell you right now, TCU's never had a problem putting a small safety back back deep. So, and and he's actually one of the more physical guys. He actually, I think he tackled Bijan Robinson one on one when they were running toward the south end zone. And I thought, man, if he doesn't make that tackle, he's walking into the end zone. But he, he made a really good play in a one-on-one situation, but, uh, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, you know, those two, those two make TCU's defense better. And I mean, I think we'll start seeing them a whole lot more as the season progresses. Well, we've mentioned it already. What can the frogs expect going out there to Lubbock? we got a six o'clock game, um, out there at Jones, at Jones stadium in, in, on the campus of Texas tech, Tech is four and one. Their only loss is obviously a seventy to thirty-five loss to Texas. They went to Morgantown and they won. They beat a Houston team. I don't exactly know what to expect, but I know if you're four and one at this point, you're doing better than TCU is. So, yeah. What, what should the frogs? Uh, what do, What do you anticipate the frogs being able to do against Tech? And I know we haven't obviously been sitting around watching Tech all season, but what do you think Tech's going to be able to throw at TCU? Obviously, we got the we got the little subplot here of Meacham and Cumby and Patterson and and um and that whole oh, yeah. yeah that whole situation. Give me your thoughts going into Lubbock this week. I mean, I know one guy in particular that's going to want to win more than anyone else. I mean, everyone wants to win, but there's one guy up in Lubbock that you know wants to win um, more than anything else because you're talking about a guy that was let go of his position. Um, the reins were given to Doug Meacham last year, not this year. Last year um, is when Doug Meacham was calling plays, even when Sonny was still uh, part of the staff. Um, those that have been living under a rock that didn't know that, now you know. Um, but he's going to want to prove a lot of things. Crazy things happen in Lubbock at night, Jeff. I mean, you know that. I mean, it's just it's a weird thing, but TCU's won. Um, I think they've won the last three times they've been to Lubbock. They 2015. Let's see, 2017, 2019. Yeah, they've won they've won the past three times. So it's not like they never went up in Lubbock. But I, I feel like, uh, obviously, Texas Tech defense played better against West Virginia than they did against Texas. But you got to think, man, if TCU can get just a little things going, and hopefully they have a healthy Quentin Johnson. Um, they need to give the ball more to Zach. Whether he's tired or not, they need to give him – at least 20 touches a game running the football. You just run behind that guy, you're going to have good things happen to you. That's that's just all there is. I don't like, you know, I talked about Meacham earlier. I don't like the lead blocking play where Zach's lead blocking for, for, for Duggan. I don't like that play whatsoever. Number one, I don't like it because I think you should be giving the ball to Zach. Number two, I don't like it because I don't think you should be putting your quarterback in a situation where he's going to get hurt. Yeah, Max is more durable, but I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to take a chance on him getting hurt. But, it's it it's gonna be a it's gonna be a hard fought game. It's not gonna be a a blowout by any stretch. Um, if Ezukama, who didn't play against West Virginia, West Virginia, if he's if he's uh, not out there, that's gonna hurt them throwing the football. Texas Tech. Uh, the the one thing I'm not worried about is their quarterback. Uh, even last year when 
Tech came to Fort Worth, I knew as as long as uh, uh, Columbia, I think is his name, if if that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. I'm he he's just not one of those ga- those quarterbacks that will win a game by himself. Now he did throw for three hundred something yards against uh, Texas, but they also were trying to come back late in the game. So you're going to get a lot of passing yards. You're going to get a you're going to get a a team that will give up anything in the middle because they don't want to give up anything to the sideline to stop the clock, whatever. And Texas was, let's face it, they were playing a lot of their backups late in that game, and Texas Tech was able to move the football a little bit. But I, I, I like I said earlier, I predict TCU to go up there, um, execute on offense, not make the bonehead plays like they have before. It's going to be a different crowd for them than what they've seen, but TCU plays, they seem to like playing on the road just as much as they like playing at home. So I, I, I don't I don't buy into a lot of the home atmosphere that much, um, but I, I, I still feel really good about TCU's chances going up there and winning. Jeff, you're on mute. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. I pushed the wrong. I pushed mute to talk. Uh, yeah, the frogs are a one point favorite going up there to Lubbock. So, and I, I think they'll they'll cover. I think they'll cover. And um, looking at probably a ten point win. But what do I know? Well, you know that's kind of where I'm could at. Could be right another. Now. Could be another fifty five fifty two win. It could be another fifty five fifty two win. I would love to see uh, Aaron Green make a make a play. No, I don't know that my uh, cardiac. <laughs> I don't want to go into cardiac arrest. I'm not sure I can stomach that. Well, let's let's glance around the Big Twelve and look at a couple of games here as we wrap up. Oklahoma has a has a, a touchdown win up there in Manhattan. I got to watch some of that game. Oklahoma looks like they were finally running the ball a little bit better. Um, I'm still always concerned when Oklahoma's defense gives up 31 to K State, but it's interesting. A lot of the Oklahoma uh, people that cover the the Sooners online thought that this was the breakout game. This was the game where they really reestablished themselves as a playoff team. I'm not sure about that, but did you get to catch any of the game between Oklahoma no. State, I mean, Oklahoma and Kansas State? Uh, I didn't. Um, I did. I did see that Oklahoma was leading pretty good at one point, and then Kansas State started to claw their way back in, and that might be where Oklahoma analysts are, are coming up with the the playoff team scenario. But um, it it is one of those teams that they've struggled with. Chris Kleiman was two and zero against Lincoln Riley since being named. Kansas State head coach so you got a little bit of a monkey off your back a little bit getting that win but I mean you're you're still gonna have to <laughs> get past a, a pretty strong Texas team this week in a, in a rivalry game that I think's gonna be a, a lot closer who do you think is gonna win the Red River this year I've watched a few Oklahoma games I didn't see Kansas State um, I've watched a few Texas games I think Texas is going to win that game this year. Ooh, it's not going to be by a lot because, like I said, it's a, a rivalry game. So, uh, I, but I do think Texas is going to win that one. Okay. What about Oklahoma State? They are um, sitting atop the Big Twelve. It's tied there, but Oklahoma State they they beat. Um, can they beat Baylor 24-14? That was a 4-0 Baylor team. Oklahoma State moves to 5-0. 24-14 win for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Mike Gundy, you know, I didn't think they looked good out of the gate, but there they are sitting there at 5 and at 5 and 0. Um, I 
they have defense. I mean, I, this is just something new to us. But, I, you know, Gary Patterson, our, our TCU's defense is not as good as we want it to be this year, not as good as it normally is. Nobody ever accused Oklahoma State of being a uh, Nick Saban a carbon copy on the defensive side of the ball. But there's Oklahoma State sitting at 5-0, and um, rolling into the heart of Big 12 play. So I'll be curious to see what Oklahoma State does the rest of the year. That was a pretty ugly game, by the way. I didn't watch all of it, but Call me skeptical, but I was very skeptical of Baylor's undefeated record. I know they beat Iowa State, but it was just kind of like, kind of got the, just a weird feeling about that whole thing. Kind of like, you know, TCU beating Baylor last year, 33-23, but they were up 30 to nothing. It just seemed like everything was going right for TCU at that point in the mm-hmm. game. and nothing. But that's how I felt with Baylor and Iowa State. I just felt like no matter what Iowa State did, nothing they could do was going to be right. Um, but I was very skeptical of Baylor's. I'm I'm very skeptical of their starting quarterback right now. I I think he's a very good runner. I'm questioning his passing ability just because I saw him in high school and everyone knew he was more of a a running quarterback, dual threat type. That if he needed kind of kind of like Max, I think Max has a better arm, stronger and more accurate. But um, I was I was always skeptical of Baylor. I didn't think they were going to go up to Stillwater and win that game. Well, if you're the kind of person that glances forward on the Big 12 calendar, obviously uh, we got Red River this weekend. TCU's going to Lubbock. Oklahoma State has a bye week. And then the, the 16th of October, Texas hosts Oklahoma State and Oklahoma hosts TCU. So that uh, th- that could be the letdown game for, for maybe both of them. So yeah. I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. I'm clearly not predicting a win over Oklahoma right now. I'm just saying that – both those teams will be uh, play. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas will be playing um, teams that will be loaded up and ready to play them. So Oklahoma State rested up, especially with you know a, a hard fought win over the Frogs, and then going into Red River, which is always emotional. I'll be interested to see what the what the Cowboys are going to be able to do going forward from that. Hey, do you have the do you have your uh, church safe by you? I do not have my church. You know, I I don't want a podcast made about me, so I don't even have a key to the church safe. I can't write a check. I got a credit card for 500 bucks if I take a new member to lunch. That's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was trying trying to get you to go into the safe to get our uh, score predictions from before the season started. Oh, oh, I've got that right here. That's next to my Bible. I keep it in my Bible. Okay. Yeah. So what did we predict for the Texas game? Not to go back backwards, but I'm just interested to see what we had. And these I were had, these were preseason predictions. These were made weeks ago. Yeah, weeks ago. And we were all loaded up on Jim Bean. Yes. Yeah, right. exactly. I, I predicted a win 28-21, and you predicted a win 30-27 to over Texas. Mm, man. Very close. Yep. It's not close enough. Not close enough. Nope. Nope. So in this week, it's fun, I had, to go, it's fun to go back and revisit those things. We'll I revisit Texas Tech game next week. Yeah. Well, I don't think my prediction's going to hold up. <laughs> <laughs> don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Uh, there were a lot of good games around the rest of the country. Uh, let's see. Oregon lost. I was glad to see that. Hey, I was at my brother's wedding this weekend, and my cousin is a season ticket holder to Kentucky football. And he, you know, during the reception, we're sitting there on his phone watching the Kentucky Florida game. Kentucky beat Florida, and so that was that was a big win for the Wildcats. I don't like Dan Mullen. Now, if he wants to come be the head coach after Gary retires, that's fine. But <laughs> I, I liked watching uh, Kentucky beat Florida, 
LSU beat uh, LSU got beat by Auburn. Your boy, yep. um, Coach Ogeron, he may be in a little trouble right now. So, we'll, yeah, we'll see he's won a you know won a national championship two years ago and already in trouble. Already in. That's trouble. how they do it in the SEC, though. That's right. But if we're really going to have a moment of Schadenfreude, did you see Mike Leach pick apart Jumbo Fisher? <laughs> I saw the. I didn't see the game, but I saw the I, score. I didn't see any of the game, but I saw the score and I loved every minute of it. I, you know, they may come in seventh in the SEC West. They won't, but wouldn't yeah. that be great? Wouldn't that be great? And so you get beat by Arkansas, and then you get beat by Mississippi State, the two teams that were predicted to come in in the bottom of the league. And then what's your reward for losing two games that you probably all thought you should have won? Who do you get to play this Saturday? The University of Alabama. That's not – I mean, so. why are we going to continue to play the rest of the season when we clearly know the top two teams in the championship are going to be Alabama and Georgia? Well, you know, that's what I wanted to close with. All right, so we know Alabama and Georgia are the two best teams in the country. If you had to pick a three and a four right now, who would you pick? Because I got my two, and it's going to oh. blow your mind. I got, I got my two. You want to hear them? Yeah. Number three, BYU. Number four, Cincinnati. I can get behind those. And then I got Iowa, and then I got Penn State. You know, is Iowa, Iowa and Penn State play this week, right? They play this week, yep. So that's that's going to be a fun one to watch. It will be. Um, but I'm telling you right now, Cincinnati. They beat the heck out of Notre Dame yeah. at, in South Bend. Yeah. yeah. You think Under, Notre Dame wishes they wouldn't have scheduled that game? Oh my gosh! You know they wish they hadn't scheduled that game. So that's the that's the thing. You know Cincinnati has Luke Fickle, mm-hmm. and they're probably going to get to hang on to a guy like that just at least for a couple years because of them going to the Big Twelve. Now he might get a big time blue blood coming after him, uh, like but, maybe Southern Cal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be tough for him to turn down, but. You know, why can't TCU go get that guy? That's what the fans are saying. I know. They're they're guys you're gonna have to deal with Coach P for at least two more years. I really I really believe it. All right. Well, here's why I've got BYU number three. And tell me why, if BYU goes undefeated, tell me why they should why Cincinnati should be ahead of them. If BYU has seven power five games on the schedule as well as Boise State. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Seven. But let's see. I know – I saw them beat Utah, which is Utah still ranked? No, they're not. Okay. But they were ranked. Yes, they, they were. They were in the top 25 when they beat them. And let's see. I can pull up the sketch. The only thing that – Ooh, they play Baylor? Ooh. Yeah, they've got Baylor, Washington State, and then they close with USC. Yeah. they got Virginia. Yeah, this is their Power 5 schedule. Arizona, Utah, Arizona State, Baylor, Washington State, Virginia, USC, as well as Boise State. I mean, that's that's basically eight power. I know Boise's not a power. Boise's a good win if they, if they beat them this weekend. Yeah. That's yeah. really hard to argue with. That's a better schedule than Cincinnati. 
And if Cincinnati gets in over an, an undefeated Cincinnati gets in over an undefeated Boise, it's only because of the the Notre Dame shine. Oh, they beat Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, and they probably won't have a Notre Dame type win on their schedule, but they will have beat seven power five teams. And I would, you know, Boise is um Boise's a good team. Put Boise in the AAC, I think they they make some noise. You know, I, they lost to UCF at the beginning of the year, but you got you got me wanting to pull up some schedules, so I, I did, and I'm looking at Cincinnati's now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have uh, SMU. TCU fans are going. <laughs> I was about to say that TCU fans are going to hate that, but that game very well because SMU is five and zero right now, and they've got you know they're top twenty five. They've got Houston, which Houston, Houston surprisingly is a four and one team. Four and one team, yeah. Yeah, only lost to Texas Tech. But let's remember, if in case TCU wins, Texas Tech is no good. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean that game very well be on November twentieth. They could both be undefeated when they play. Wouldn't that be glorious? <laughs> Not for TCU fans. It Not wouldn't for be TCU Jeff. Fans. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> No, I don't know who I'm pulling for there more. Are we supposed to start Cincinnati? Pulling? You Cincinnati. never know. Never pull for BYU. Oh, I know you want to do a whole podcast on BYU. We will. We no, will do that. No. Right. Uh, no. Well, we've we've hit our hour mark here, man. Anything else you want to get in before we wrap this thing up? No, I mean, kind of like Zach Evans, man. I'm kind of tired. Oh my go. gosh! All right, you go. have to talk about that. <laughs> I don't know anything else than. What anyone else is reading, I mean, we asked Gary. Uh, he said uh, he was tired, and, and so I said, so I asked him a follow-up. So you guys pull him out because he's tired? And he said, yep, and because we have other guys, that would be correct. That's exactly what he said. And so I think we'll kind of ask him Tuesday because there's a lot of stuff going on. Is he pulling them? Now, I'm sitting in the press box, and I know other people are sitting in the stands. They see. I could tell you – two times off the top of my head when he ran off the field by himself after patting himself on the head. Um, one of them was he was at, he ran the ball two straight times and he was out there as a receiver. And next thing I know, Kendra Miller's in there. And the other one was when he ran his 33 yard run, he mm-hmm. pulled himself out. So I, all the rumors on the board and stuff going on, whether you read ours and people bringing that, stuff from uh what's being said about on killer frogs whatever i haven't i haven't heard any of that i haven't heard any of the i saw someone say something today that zach's demanding twenty five thousand a game and heard they you saw people say zach's making the coaches limit his carries because of a third party this and that I, i haven't heard any of that um and i don't i mean that's 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 just crazy to me. Zach looks like he's having fun out there, and I know it's kind of crazy to say if he's if he's tired because he, he is in good shape. But right now, it's it's what the coach is saying. So I know he's he's probably lying through his teeth right now to everyone. But that's that's what it is. That's what we're being told. All right. Well, I'll, we'll find out. I'm looking forward to that press conference on Tuesday. Get in there and ask hard questions, Jeremy. I'm so tired. Of you. I know. We never do. I know. I know. <laughs> All 
All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. We know we didn't get the result that uh, fans like me wanted in this game. But, hey, we get another chance to redeem ourselves, go out to Lubbock, get a win, and then go to Norman, see what happens. If you haven't yet, we encourage you to go to hornfrogblitz.com. Sign up for our our message board. This is a place to get – you're not only going to find great information from Jeremy – it is like full of great uh, commentary about the world and about horn frogs. So if you want to blow off some steam, man, this is the message board you want to be a part of. You're going to find some some camaraderie of people that um, if you think the sky is falling, you go read our board. You're going to find some real uplifting information. We'd love for you to be a part of hornfrogblitz.com. And if you haven't yet, follow us on uh, on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can also give us a rating and a review for the Frogcast. We would love for you to do that. Follow us on all your podcasting apps of choice. So until we get back together next week and uh, recap, hopefully, a victory over the Texas Tech Red Raiders for Daniel Southern and Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. <laughs> <laughs>